I'm Adam Coleman, inviting you to the fifth season of The Cosmic Library from LitHub. This season, we go on our tiniest reading adventure yet, into short stories in the U.S. But this too turns out to be almost all-encompassing. I think short stories are essentially brief encounters with felt life. That's Oxford literary scholar Andrew Kahn, who gives us a deep history of the short story. And we hear from The New Yorker's Deborah Treisman, who explains her work as an editor of short fiction. You know, if you are melding with another person, you don't turn that person into you, but you get to know the ins and outs of that person. So, and it's, it's sort of like that. I always feel involved with the stories. We bounce around between the history and current life of short stories with the novelist Justin Taylor. The nice thing about it going out of fashion is that it really frees you up to relate to it in a different way. This being the Cosmic Library, we make sure to go way beyond U.S. short stories, too. Here's the Washington Post critic, Becca Rothfeld. A lot of Kafka short stories, I think, gesture at or describe um, sort of nightmarish geographies or architectures. And the actor Max Gordon Moore reminds us just how wild short stories can be. With a reading in its entirety of Wakefield, the intensely strange, classic Nathaniel Hawthorne story. He had contrived, or rather he had happened, to dissever himself from the world, to vanish. Get ready for all that and more in a season about short stories, small windows into vast universes. It's season five of The Cosmic Library, available soon wherever you go for podcasts. Welcome to the Maris Review. I'm Maris Kreisman, and what a delight to be joined by my first guest for 2023, who I've known for a long time and I've been waiting for this novel for a long time. Kashana Kali is a former Midtown antitrust lawyer. Remember that, because that'll be important. And Brooklyn res- resident. She's a writer for the Fox comedy, The Great North, a contributing opinion writer for the New York Times and a GQ contributor. She's published fiction in Esquire, Slate, Tin House, and The Chronicles of Now. She now lives in Los Angeles and her first novel is called The Survivalists. Kashana, hi. Hi. <laughs> I'm so happy to have I, I I said this when we weren't recording yet, but I miss your laugh. I really do. Um, I have missed you. <laughs> as I also said before we were recording. So I I always want to make clear that I do understand that a main character and the author are not the same person. They are not. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> <laughs> I got the feeling reading the survivalists that part of the novel was you working through your feelings about having once been a lawyer at a big Manhattan firm. Oh yeah, that's that's 100% true. It was an experience. I don't know any like lawyers who haven't had to work through something after they've stopped practicing law. And the funny thing is I also don't know very many people who went to law school around the same time as I did who practice law anymore. It's it's a real hardcore burnout. <laughs> Didn't make it industry. It's really wild because you, you address this in the book, but like, yeah, law school was always gonna be my backup if, if other things didn't work out because the law was so stable. Everybody would always need lawyers and yet, <laughs> 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 now, like <laughs> no job it seems is uh secure these days law has the stability of things like the media or yeah. um <laughs> television writing actually 
when I was like a second year associate, they started firing partners. It was 2008 and they had never started firing partners before. But if your books weren't up to, to date, if you weren't making them enough money, they were getting rid of you. It was the holiday season. They were firing people right around this time of year, right before the holidays. It was fourth quarter books or whatever. It was brutal. That sucks. Um, and so Aretha, your main character, is doing all the right things. Mm -hmm. She's ambitious, she loves to win, she is playing the game. Um, she has gone into great amounts of debt to go to law school and now she's a model employee. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't work out for and her. Yeah, I was gonna say <laughs> Without going into details, because that's quite common. It is really common to go in, to practice law, to follow all the rules, to um, stay up all night writing a brief, to kill your weekends, to waste your 20s, to miss important holidays, to not see family and friends, and to still not have anything to show for that. And at the end of the day, no one will be particularly grateful to you for having done that. It's um, almost famously brutal at this point. There are a lot of other folks who have talked about it other than me, but I have a lot of friends who just came out the other side. What it is is that it is very hard to get a book of business as like a 26 year old who say isn't best friends with American Express. If you don't know inside, if you don't know in-house counsel somewhere, like if you were not born of money and you don't know who actually controls hiring outside counsel at a lot of these corporations that are the people who spend enough money on things like litigation uh, who to like keep, you know, keep people fed and put roofs over their heads, you are not going to make partner. And the older partners with the books of business do not want to pass them on because they are precarious about their own situation. And so they're not retiring and they're not going to give anything to you. Thrive Market is my go-to for all of my grocery and household essentials. And the convenience of getting it all quickly shipped to my doorstep is a huge time saver. I was so happy to see that they carry my favorite protein bars as well as Wandering Bear cold brew in a big size. As a Thrive Market member, I can save money on every single order. On average, I save over 30% each time. $15 on my last order. On top of the massive savings on each order, Thrive Market has a deals page that changes daily, gives me cash back on so many brands, and they have a price match guarantee. Not only does Thrive Market save me money, but they have also saved me time. I love the filters on their website or app. They have over 70. Whether you're looking for certified gluten-free snacks or non-toxic cleaning essentials, you can curate your own shopping experience with the click of a button. I'm diabetic, so I love how many low-carb treats I can find on Thrive Market. When you join Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for-one -one membership matching program. You join, they give. Join Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash Maris Review for 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E Market dot com slash maris review thrivemarket.com slash maris review and and working in an environment when everybody is so on edge and everybody um is a little jaded 
um, is hard enough. And then we kind of see Aretha, who I, I would say is like a good, nice person with a little competitive streak, but making so many different kinds of justifications for the kind of work she does too. Very common. Um, when I was a lawyer, I knew I had friends who represented banks that had financed apartheid. I knew, um, <laughs> oh yeah, and so, they would, my second year of law school, everybody was summering at the banks who had financed apartheid place and people would come up to me, you know, and they'd just be like, is this okay? And I'm like, what am I supposed to say to you? <laughs> I am not going to tell you that just because apartheid ended in like the 90s, that it is okay to, you know, defend the apartheid banks and like their wind down litigation. <laughs> but um and and as if you could say it's okay and then it would be okay (laughs) right me the ultimate arbiter of Uh whether you should represent apartheid banks (laughs) but a lot of lawyers I know it's very common to have clients who you both don't personally agree with and who are like are not doing good things and in order to continue doing that job um a lot of people end up leaning into the salary and just finding some way to justify the actual substance of the work and in, in Aretha's firm, it's it's very pointed because um, this book is set post-Hurricane Sandy. And she, of course, is working for the insurance companies. <laughs> <laughs> I like that you're laughing about your own plot points. My, um, yeah, my husband is as an insurance and this is not in any way based on his experience, but we have had a lot of conversations over the years about what insurance covers and what it doesn't and how that doesn't necessarily line up to what people want insurance to cover. And a lot of the stuff in the book is based on things, bits and pieces of our conversation that are fictionalized and heightened. I, I There are in any catastrophe going to be lawyers and people like the insurance industry who will hate that you got injured and will do everything they can to separate you from any sort of recovery. And yeah, those are her people. And you, you end up justifying that to yourself too, because if you come out of the sort of law school that Aretha's come out of, there's also, well, you're intellectuals, you know, we're on the frontiers of law. We're like promoting, you know, new, exciting thoughts about how the law should be. But you're, if you're doing that, to do that for these bad corporations, you have to reconcile that too. And so there's a lot of her going, I'm a smart person. I'm an intelligent person. I paid attention in law school. And now I'm going to apply all of that, that excellence to justifying terrible companies. I love this, that it has a direct corollary to book publishing, which is um, so many publishers make the intellectual argument that we need to hear from all sides. We cannot suppress any speech ever. <laughs> Even when that speech is probably going to kill people or hurt yep. people or make it so they can't live in their homes. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, and of course, the the catastrophe aspect of this is is something that like people were really aware of then. And I think it's grown even more and more so that like, the weather has been bad, Kashana, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. and it's only going to get worse, like forever. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, now I'm I'm in California, and like every time it rains, it's like, well, we needed that, you know, like <laughs> big hugs for rain. Um, everybody knows we're going to run out of water here someday, but like with every rainstorm, I'm like maybe this is the one where the Colorado River is okay. <laughs> 
unlike <laughs> on the other coast we, we, half of the shoreline will just disappear eventually like things are bad um and, and so presses me a lot i i love that the survivalist really covers what is paranoid in this day and age and what is just rightfully anxious about the state of the world <laughs> because i think i think it, it, it's both and very much so I, I feel like i spent a lot of the time writing the book working with that just so what does it mean to be afraid of things and how it can be totally okay to be afraid of things but when do you, when do you tip over into that level where that fear is controlling your life and what are you doing when that happens yeah and so to illustrate this a little bit um aretha goes on a date with aaron and uh it works out she's met a non-drip <laughs> oh that's a weird word to use given that he works in coffee <laughs> tell me about what aretha loves about aaron to start with uh he's tall he's hot um he dresses well he has some sort of weird coolness about him that she can't put her finger on but she herself lacks and thinks is very attractive in him he really seems to like have his like shit together he has this brownstone who has a brownstone in that generation <laughs> our generation does not have brownstones <laughs> He, he bought his own brownstone. Like that's enough to fall in love with the person in this way, right? Yeah. Um, on Vanderbilt <laughs> Avenue, which mm -hmm. when did you leave New York? 2019. So during the worst days of the pandemic, the, the streets on Vanderbilt were entirely shut off and it was kind of lovely and all of these new restaurants were opening and it was delightful. And it was like <laughs> um, the ability to buy a home in, in that area of Prospect Heights in Brooklyn is, um, has really disappeared. Even That's more where so I lived before I moved out here and I loved it. I lived in a brownstone. Ours was falling apart. The ceiling fell in on us three times. But we were a block from Vanderbilt and we loved it. Every time, every year we would think about moving, except we were paying below market rent to live in a place where the ceiling would fall in on you. And we were on 12 trains and we were half a block from four and 20 Blackbirds and we gorged mm. on pie and we ate at every single one of those Vanderbilt restaurants. It was great, but we could not afford to live there. And it was always a matter of when we would be priced out or be forced to leave. Yeah. And so Aaron, it seems like, has a has a great setup because he owns his place and he is his own boss and when you combine those two things it's it's kind of like everything that aretha wants he doesn't have to smile at anyone he doesn't want to he doesn't have to kiss anyone's ass he's he's in charge yeah she does not have anywhere near that amount of agency at work i she's the kind of character who would just fantasize about just having that much control over what she did he does get, he gets to travel he has all these crazy stories from his travels 
but yeah, it's really him, his own creation, the coffee business, his own house where he gets to do it in. He runs his entire life. He has this deep level of control that is amazing and alien to her and exciting. That's so fucking exciting. <laughs> um, tell me a little bit about Tactical Coffee and um, <laughs> how you came up with this uh, brand and this logo and uh, what this coffee is all about. I think there's been a slow crawl in making things tactical. I, I remember concealed carry chinos, which were designed <laughs> to make the kind of guy who would wear chinos seem, you know, like he could kill you at a moment's notice, but probably wasn't going to at like Ace Hardware. There were tactical underwear, like they would just, I went, I reported out a gun show for BuzzFeed once and there were tactical purses. And I was like, what makes a purse tactical? Like you could put a gun in like an everyday, but they were like, no, these are tactical purses. And so I really loved that creep of, the idea of tacticalness into everyday items after seeing this for a couple of years. And I thought it would just be straight up funny if the, the coffee business was called tactical coffee because that's ridiculous. Um, I had done a lot of research in the coffee about the coffee industry because I liked drinking third wave. I had um, chased down some of the people at Counterculture Coffee in North Carolina, like drove to their roastery, mm. like freaked them out with some friends of mine who were equally into coffee. They were like, are you professionals? Like, no, we're just nuts. Um, I had talked to lots of baristas around New York about roasting, about notes, about where they got things from, about farmers. <laughs> and I just wanted, I like writing sometimes about things I've been interested in for years because you've kind of already done the research without having to like do the research. And so tactical coffee came out of obsessions with coffee and, and tactical items and just thinking that the two of them added together would be fun. What's on the logo? Um, it's a guy carrying a full cup of coffee that is sloshing over the side in one hand and he's got like an assault rifle, like an AR-15 type gun and the other and the bag says, um, uh, so you don't fall asleep during the apocalypse and <laughs> if you hang out in tactical land long enough they're pretty convinced that any item in it will make you be obviously more prepared in some way and so coming up with the pitch line for a, a, a tactical coffee was fun I'm like what could you really say about coffee that would make you seem more prepared than like getting up at 7 a.m and just having it <laughs> um yeah you definitely need caffeine when um the end of the world comes um but I do like also that it seems like the other thing that Aaron has in this coffee company that you know a, a weird kind of um jarring um brand but he does seem to love it like he loves going on trips to talk to the roaster or to the to the coffee makers and coffee growers he loves going on trips to talk to the coffee growers and he loves going to other roasters and talking about flavor and like this is the kind of engagement in a job I think that we would all dream of mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah I think during the era that is covered in the book, it was a great time to be in coffee. When I was talking with all the baristas I talked to all the time, it was you get to meet people, you get to do like brewing contests, you get to try new beans, you get to meet farmers. They painted this picture of a very social, very fun industry. I didn't think of coffee that way. I think a lot of people 
just like me just thought oh it's in a pot and you you brew it in the morning and you drink it and yeah there's this whole ecosystem behind it but I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about what that is and so I kind of wanted to give him that sense of that that socialness that people-centered thing he is a people person he likes talking to people he's managed to charm his kind of prickly roommates he loves it I, I, I love that there's a line towards the beginning of the book in which Aretha says, you hung out with people and they rubbed off on you. That, and, and of course she's talking about terrible corporate lawyers, but like, it also happens to be the case that uh, Aaron's roommates have had have some impact on him. Aaron's um, roommate, Brittany, she does the books for the business. Like she gets really excited about new tax deductions. She's one of those people. Um, she was always a business person, very traditional background. I think she's a Harvard like undergrad and grad like MBA in the book. She's um, just a very like X's and O's, very straightforward, very by the book, by the rules on one end of her personality, but she's also kind of the impetus for the survivalism. She comes from this family in Western Massachusetts. It's very survivalist, even though they, they are not very tight anymore. Um, they are who she got all this individualism and this, this preparation from and also being armed. There is a long tradition of like black gun ownership that I feel like is not as discussed as the long tradition of like white gun ownership in this country. And she's proud of that. She takes that as also part of her heritage along with being from Massachusetts. She's from a family of gun owners and they're not going to be unprepared if someone sneaks up on them. She's, I guess, a ball of contrast that I, I feel like you don't see that much <laughs> in, in novels. And James is um, a plagiarist who used to work for the Washington Post he was on the climate change beat, and but he was lifting other people's sentences to do um, not quite so original reporting about climate. And that's how he, he got to be in the house because he just sort of fell through society in the way that plagiarists have. And just there was nobody else who was willing to let him do anything for them for pay. But he's also a drunk and he's their body man. He's supposed to provide security for the house but you kind of get the sense that like standing upright, like for an extended period of time is like not really his jam. Um, they are a, like a, a motley crew. <laughs> yes, indeed. And, and I love that Aretha's attitude going into this place is of course, this is just another thing that she has to win. Um, so, so Aaron already likes her, loves her. And, and so she will win over these two incredibly difficult people who are who have their own things going on, <laughs> who she ordinarily wouldn't have met out in the world, probably. That's a very lawyer. I mean, my law school friends and I are the people who have like 12 hour arguments with each other because everyone is obviously right and we're not going to rest until the other person understands just how right we are it's i i don't know where this personality comes from it really doesn't seem like law school should have that much to do with making us that annoying as people but i mean i had a 12-hour debate with one of my friends about legal bookkeeping once like we just neither <laughs> one of us wanted to let go about filing systems if you take that personality and you put it into a house like that 
a lot of lawyers I, that I've met don't give up in their private lives trying to win. And that that's Aretha. She's going to win that friendship. She's going to win that breakfast. And that breakfast is a very particular kind of breakfast. Well, so we first see Aretha eating breakfast with her friend Nia and they're in their favorite diner and they're having comfort foods and it sounds delightful. And then Aretha moves into this home with her new boyfriend and his roommates and finds herself eating soy bars. Optimized soy protein meant to reduce your risk of death um, because so many foods claim that. I just thought that was fun. They're What's called, the name? Um, life yeah. preservers. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's one of the things that really stuck out to me about Aretha is even though she was so hardworking, um he she did like to have fun and she did like to take pleasure in in things um whether that is a meal with friends or wearing something sequined and going out to the club like that was important to her and then oh go ahead no you go I was gonna say and I the one of the fun things about the book was trying to put that urge to have fun in that house that's like a, a hardcore survivalist house there's really not that from an objective standpoint much fun in survivalism really I mean she doesn't sure. see that and so it's wild to watch her take like her club wear self and go you know what maybe this is the club maybe this is where I'm going to have fun now and she, we do see her at one point and I won't say where but um we see her singing in the shower and and kind of realizing how much Brittany would hate that <laughs> would not be able to tolerate that um, tell me a little bit more though about the, Brittany's family and just the entire idea of being black and making sure that you're armed because that seems to me that's I mean again in terms of things to be nervous about seems justified I mean the the Black Panthers had a pretty famous open carry thing that they did in California in the 60s that inspired a lot of our modern gun control movement. They just wanted to be able to take advantage of the Second Amendment as much as anybody else in this country was able to do. Um, I don't I don't think that they were necessarily in the we're going to use these guns on the steps of the statehouse camp. I don't know that a lot of the Black folks that I've known have owned guns are very much in the we're going to parade this through a target. We're going to just maybe, you know, you got the parking spot first and we're going to have something to say about that in an armed way. It's not not as public, I don't think. The tradition that I, I tacked to Brittany and her family was, yeah, the private, you know, is somebody going to come in our house? Is anybody going to help us with that? Is, is there community support for us? We're not sure about those things. So we should double down on ourselves school of things. And that, we can even see as Aretha is trying to grow out of both the survivalist house and her job, that she she is beginning to understand that having a community and taking care of each other is is 
one kind of solution to 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 some of her misery yeah it's a struggle for her because i i think so much of her life and self-worth is really tied up in that job and if there's any place that's like as communityless as possible it is corporate law except <laughs> so for survivalism actually, right like where, yeah. where everybody is just armed and ready to attack at any time in a way the corporate law actually sets herself sets her up very well to be a survivalist because they are both very individual very well you've got to be prepared very you know forceful and angry even and they're also based on fear in corporate law you're afraid you're going to lose millions of dollars to somebody and get fired in survivalism you're afraid you might die or be stuck in some scenario where you don't know how to get yourself out of it and so there's this three-story house on Vanderbilt, has a beautiful backyard, and there's also one more detail. <laughs> Tell me about uh, what else is in the yard. Oh, they have a bunker. Um, they're yeah, the obviously the only people in Brooklyn who have a bunker. They <laughs> hard to get yourself a like, yard big enough in Brooklyn to really fit. Yeah, it. absolutely. Uh, That's a challenge. And, and and at certain points, Aretha tries to imagine like what situation would call for this bunker and she's not quite there and yet much like she adapted to life at the corporate law office she finds herself falling in with with her new housemates tell me a little bit about Aretha learning, discovering that she enjoys going on gun runs to sell guns. Aretha is a buttoned up, straight A, follow the rules type. Law was a good fit for her because it is all about rules and how to follow them, basically. When she goes on, when she goes on a gun run the first time, she immediately is confronted with the illegality of the whole thing, which is really normal for a lawyer. You know, you spend your whole life going, well, this is legal, and you do not have a whole lot of pondering of the other side unless you are a criminal lawyer, and she's not. And so she, she goes in there, and she's like, given the gun laws of New York at the time, it's very obvious that what they're doing is not cool. They don't have any reason to be bringing guns home that's not going to be cool under the law and she's she's fighting with that but at the same time she's somebody who has never ever not followed a rule and here she is not following a rule and she's not dead and she's living to see another day and there's something exciting about that especially because at her job following the rules isn't working out for her as yeah. well as she's liked it too and so it's exciting for her to go you know what what if i break a law what if I do something that isn't like the prescribed path. I'm wondering if um, if you can talk a little bit more about what you think Aretha might want if she let herself imagine it. We were, earlier we were talking about the control that Aaron has over his career and his life. I think she would like that. I think that's part of her attraction to him. He's He's hot, he's lovely, he owns a brownstone. But he can also exist in that brownstone and run his entire life from it without having to deal with the whims of like other people other than like Brittany, his business partner. She she would like that control. She likes to win. Winning control over her life would be the ultimate goal in a way. She starts out thinking she doesn't necessarily need community, I think, too. She's got a best friend. She's got 
a job. She's got what she likes to do at night. And towards the end, she, but she realizes she wants to be plugged into something greater than herself. And so I think at the end of the day, she wants both those things. Control, but also a sense of community and belonging. I love this. I love that this is the book you wrote because in your current career, you have a job where you really depend on other people a lot. You have to really work together. Tell me just a little about that. Oh, yeah. Um, I am not on the Great North anymore, but I'm doing some oh. other junk. And it's okay. also collaborative and communal. You've, you've, all, you've been in a bunch of TV writers' rooms. Let's put it like that. Oh, tons for years. And man, I love it. I actually love walking in and like sitting around with 15 people and firing out pitches and seeing what happens. My competitive corporate law side actually loves the idea that you have to win with the jokes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you have to be funnier. You have to fit the story well. You have to um, just be the thing the showrunner responds to. I, I don't mind that. I'm happy to go up there and like take an at-bat every morning. I loved having big groups of coworkers in a lot of my jobs. I My last gig had like 13 other writers. I think at the beginning, there were like 15 other writers in our writer's room. I love that many personalities. I love learning different ways about how people work. I love everybody's different sense of humor. I love people who do not think the same things are funny that I do. I love working with other people. That's good. Kishana, before we go, please recommend some books for us. Um, I, I've, it's so funny. Now that my kid's older, I can read like tons of books a year again. How old after is he like now? I'll cut that out. But... Nine. Oh my <laughs> gosh. So he's got his own life and video gaming and his friends. And now I can go back to like 70, 80 books a year. And I love it. Um, but so I read a ton and I'm going to recommend a couple of really like current ish ones. Um, I've been telling everybody about Assembly by Natasha Brown. I think it's just a little dagger of a book. It asks big questions about whether struggling in like the, you know, a community in which you are not like from the dominant background is worth it and what that's for and like what immigration is for and like what did getting a better life actually mean that I feel like are not addressed a lot of places. I read it like five times back to back. <laughs> And it's also got that finance is to corporate law. As, um, yeah, that's great. Very much so. She's asking herself a lot of the same questions. I came, I found her book like six months ago and was like, oh my God, I wrote about like this stuff. <laughs> but yeah, is this corporate job worth it? What is she striving for at work? Does making more people more money like the ultimate point of human existence? <laughs> you saying no? <laughs> Yeah, man, I don't know. I used to think it was perfect, but I think there might be some <laughs> holes under further review. And the other one I'm going to recommend is Post Traumatic by Chantal Johnson, another book I've been talking about to people all year because she makes jokes about the absolute darkest stuff. I, <laughs> I, I love dark stuff. I love jokes about death and like stuff without going into what she's joking about because I feel like that gives away too much of that book. It's just delicious and dark and perfect. It is, and and it is actually funny, which mm -hmm. I think is kind of amazing. Um, Hard to do, yeah. Speaking of, The Survivalists, <laughs> out 
in January. Um, Kashana Kali, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Maris Review. And check the show notes for the books we discussed on here today. And please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.